0: Now I would like to ask Gillian Riley to come to the podium to say a few words, please.
1: Thank you very much, Helen, and good afternoon, everyone. It's so exciting to see so many students here today and so many of you in the audience watching as well. Scotiabank has been a proud supporter of Take Our Kids to Work Day since it was just a pilot project in 1994. Imagine 25 years ago this started. Many of you are just newborn babies. Since then, you've grown and so has this program. And I can tell you it's a very popular event at Scotiabank. There are Scotiabankers that I see here today um, in the audience and, and at the offices. It's a great opportunity to learn about what goes on in different environments and go to go to the office with your parents for the day. I'm very excited for next year when my daughter is able to come to the office for the day, but I know she'd be more excited to be at an event like this one and hear from such exciting panelists. Personally, I'm inspired just talking with them at the head table, and I'm sure you will be when you hear from them in a few moments. This year, to celebrate the 15th anniversary of Scotiabank Take Your Kids to Work Day, Scotiabank and the Learning Partnership launched a a national online challenge called the Ultimate Dream Job Photo Contest, and I know Veronica will speak about it in a little bit. But the response was tremendous, and the winner was chosen, a Grade 9 student from Alberta, and if you can believe it, she is spending the day with Stephen Harper up in Ottawa in the House of Commons. So next year, you could aspire to this yourself. As a high school student, I remember my parents and my teachers always telling me that things were different in the real world, and I never really knew what that meant. What was the real world? Hopefully today you'll get the chance to see what life is like in the real world. And as I say, don't believe everything you hear today. It's sometimes better and it's sometimes a little worse. I hope you'll enjoy your experiences, and I hope you'll hear some great things from some very interesting people today and learn about what they do. These are some great volunteers that will share your experiences today, and I know you'll find it very exciting. I would like to thank the Canadian Club of Toronto and the Learning Partnership for hosting the luncheon. On behalf of Scotiabank, thanks for coming, and I really hope you enjoy the rest of your day. It's a great opportunity.
0: Thank you very much, Jillian. Now I'm going to ask Veronica Lacey to come to the podium to say a few words about Take Our Kids to Work and to introduce our moderator and panelists.
2: Thank you, Helen, and uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm uh, absolutely thrilled to be here today um, to be with so many young people. I have to say that in the three years that we have done this, this is the most number of young people, of kids, that have been at a luncheon. And I think that's a real accomplishment. So give yourselves a big hand. (laughs) (laughs) Helen, I'd like to thank the Canadian Club for hosting this uh, with the Learning Partnership, and especially you, because it was at a time when you were the president that you said, absolutely, take our kids to work, That is the best kind of event that the Canadian Club should be involved with. So thank you. We remember that, and we look forward to many, many more years of uh, of Take Our Kids to Work as well. Thank you, of course, to Scotiabank for uh, hosting and for sponsoring Take Our Kids to Work since 1994. And to the parents and to the guardians, aunts, uncles, teachers who are here, who brought the kids, thank you for being with us. But, of course... Always a very, very special thank you to to the kids who are here today. It's interesting, if you think about Canada, we have about 200 uh, kids, uh, young people here today. There are over 250,000 kids across every province and territory who are in the workplace in every corner of our country from sea to sea to sea. And the number of opportunities and experiences that they're enjoying today are immense. So what is Take Our Kids to Work Day and why the Learning Partnership, which is all about championing public education across the country? Well, as you heard Jillian say, 15 years ago, some of you were not even around Your parents were thinking about the prospect of each one of you. Those who were in the very first Take Our Kids to Work Day today are 28 years old. They're in careers and in the trades and making life happen in their communities right across this country. You heard Jillian talk about how we celebrated Take Our Kids to Work Uh, anniversary this year, and that's the ultimate dream job contest. In less than six weeks, we had over 17,000 grade nine kids submit a photograph of their dream job. The number of photos, fantastic photos of kids who wanted to join the armed forces, of kids who wanted to be chefs, of kids who wanted to be athletes, of kids who wanted to be ambassadors and mathematicians and ecologists, all the dreams. Sometimes we think, oh, grade 9 kids, 13 years old, they're not really dreaming about big jobs. It's not true. It's not true. When we talk to you, you're not only thinking about exciting careers, You're thinking about changing the world. And you said it in your photographs. So next year, get ready. We want to see those photographs. Maybe you want to be the best model or an actor. Or maybe you want to be the Prime Minister of Canada. And all of that is possible here. So what is special about this day is, it's your glimpse about what can be there for you. But just as importantly, it's a glimpse to see how hard your parents work on your behalf. And I want you to put your heads together, hands together and let's thank your parents for creating such great futures for all of us. Today, you're going to hear from three great Canadians who have their dream jobs, or maybe not. So you will hear today. We're getting into it already. The three panelists today are Chief Warrant Officer Stuart Hartnell with the Canadian Armed Forces, Kimberly Newport-Mimram, the co-founder and president and head designer of Pink Tartan, and Adrian Peewee Smith, former cornerback, cornerback, for the Toronto Argonauts and three-time Grey Cup champion. Afterwards, if you really, really are in good, good luck, you're going to see his ring. <laughs> Pretty exciting. Of course, yes. We have, again, with us this year, Mirella Fernandez, whom you all know from City News, and where she has worked since 1998. Ladies and gentlemen, after the panel, it will be your time to ask those important questions. So again, put your hands together and welcome our tremendous panel this afternoon.
3: get in the hot seat. That's what we call it up here, the hot seat. So we are here to answer your (coughs) questions, whatever they are about our jobs. You're going to get the inside scoop, so to say, on what our jobs are about, what we do, what's hard about it, what's easy about it, what we love, what we hate, because there are things we hate, Um, and how we got to where we uh, are in life. So we're going to open all of that discussion. You have cards on your table, everyone, which you can write your questions on, because I know if you're like my nephew James, he doesn't want to stand up and talk in front of a crowded room. Right, James? Yeah. So uh, write your questions down, and we will bring them up to, uh, to ask our guests a little bit about, about myself. I grew up in Malvern. Anybody from Malvern here today? Well, there we go. What school? MT?
4: Yeah, that's right. See, I
3: recognize the MT. I went to Pope. James goes to Pope, so we were your basketball rivals, just saying. So,
4: she know. didn't just see the MT on their sweaters. That's I'll what I them. saw. That's
3: what gave it away. Um, so I grew up uh, in Malvern. I went to school in Ottawa for university. I did journalism, and I have been at City TV now for a long time, 12 years, and uh, I'm a reporter and an anchor. So I do the five o'clock news on Channel 7 from 5 to 5:30. But I also go out during the day uh, to file stories. I'm a general assignment reporter. That means I can do anything from going to a murder scene, going to court to cover a trial, uh, going to interview somebody one-on-one like Beyonce. Yes, I've talked to Beyonce. She's very cool. Um, So anything, anything on the table as a general assignment reporter. So that's what I do. Uh, I'm going to ask our guests to give us a very brief synopsis um, of what they do uh, and reiterate their positions and, and what they do in life. We'll start with Stuart.
5: Well, I'm a a Chief Warrant Officer in the Canadian Armed Forces, and I know this is a a difficult thing to to understand, our rank structure, but we have uh, enlisted ranks, and we have officer ranks, and my rank as a Chief Warrant Officer, I am the highest-ranking non-commissioned member in in my organization. I'm a member of the the Army, and in the Army, we have a whole number of trades. My trade, I am an infantry soldier. What does that mean? I'm the guy on the ground that, that has the rifle, that goes forward, and that uh, closes with the enemy. So we do security tasks at home and abroad. We, uh, we conduct a combat operations currently in Afghanistan. And I have a battle group that's currently training right now. They're actually in the field. It's uh, 1,200 of my soldiers are in the field today. And we are getting ready to uh, deploy to Afghanistan in April.
6: Great, thank you. Kim. Well, I'm a fashion designer. I have a company called Pink Tartan, which is sold all over North America. And I came from Niagara Falls. I took, went to fashion school and then did a whole series of different aspects of fashion from buying to merchandising to product development and sort of came to design later in my career. And uh, it's, it's just a, it's, it's amazing because fashion is really, it's fashion and branding. So there's two things that go together with the job that I do every day.
3: Okay, Adrienne, I know you're an investment now. So tell us a little bit about football and a little bit about investment.
4: All right. My name is Adrian Smith. I come from Kansas City, Missouri. I became a Canadian citizen three years ago, so I am Canadian. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm not going anywhere. I'm just, I didn't come here for the health care. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. <laughs> uh, I played football for the Toronto Argonauts for 12 years. Uh, I had three great cup championships, and now I'm in the investment uh, planning stage of my life. Um, I actually own a financial company called Simple Financial Management. We have offices in Kitchener, London, and in Calgary, and I have about 35 agents that are underneath me.
3: Um, Let's talk about the worst job you've ever had in your life, because obviously we didn't all roll out of bed and become what we are today. Uh, For me, I did telephone survey. So you know those annoying people that call you at dinner time? Yeah, that was me when I was 16. And we literally got a page of the phone book, and we would just go down through the names and call people to ask them questions about whatever the topic of the day was, what brands they buy, what cars they drive. And I hated it, and I did it for six months part-time while I was in school, but that was my worst job. Uh, we'll start at the end. We'll come back this way. Adrian.
4: Um, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a worse job. I think that's just the jobs you don't like. Obviously, I think jobs shape you and they mold you, and it helps you understand yourself better, right? And it, What I mean by that, it helps you understand what you probably don't want to do for the rest of your life or it can help shape you and understand what you want to do for the rest of your life. So I would say my two jobs that shaped me, which made me understand what I didn't want to do, was moving furniture (laughs) in a warehouse. And the one before that, when I was in high school, I worked for two years at Wendy's. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I worked the morning shift.
3: And how many double bacon cheeseburgers did you eat in those two years? You know know?
4: what? I ate a whole lot of them, but my metabolism could handle it.
3: Oh,
6: yeah. Kim? Well, one of... I, I, I agree. You know, it's really interesting that a job does... You, you take something from every job that you, ta- that you have in life. And um, one of my first jobs, I wanted to be a buyer. So I went and worked in the buying office for the Hudson's Bay Company. And I hated it. I had to sit down and do numbers. I did assortment plans. I worked on, you know, allocating the clothing out to all the stores. What I didn't know is that it was much like the wax on, wax off in The Karate Kid. I learned the fundamentals of a buying plan. And I go and deal with Saks Fifth Avenue, Neiman Marcus. I not only understand how to buy a plan, I actually did them. So it really was a boring job for about two years of my life, but it gave me so much knowledge that I didn't even know I needed. I wanted to move on to something else. But the key is, is to do the best where you're at so that you can grow and move on to something else. And you'll never know when you need it. That's true because even though I didn't like doing the telephone
3: surveys, it taught me how to handle rejection very well, <laughs> <laughs> which is part of my job right now because I have to go out often and get people's views and comments and opinions on different things. And I'll hit the street and say, so, you know, what do you think about President uh, Bush's re-election? Or what do you think about Harper's latest decision? And a lot of people don't want to talk to you and they walk by, they're brushed by you and you get a lot of rejection coming your way and that was one of the things I learned doing telephone sales was how to not take it personally when somebody hangs up the phone on you or walks away from you when you want to talk to them. Sir?
5: Well, it's a, a little difficult for me because I, I've been a professional soldier for 24 years so for me to reflect back uh, on, on some of those jobs is um, a little bit of a challenge but I would say probably the fast food industry is the, is the same uh, sort of thing. I, I did that when I was in high school. And while it was probably not the most pleasant job, it certainly um, it, uh, opened my eyes to the freedom that, uh, that making money gave me. And it gave me that, that ability to, uh, to save and to, uh, to gather funds so that I could get things that I desired. So it, it also was a, a great learning experience for me.
3: Let's talk about uh, the challenges of the jobs because every job comes with, hidden challenges, things you didn't know that you would have to deal with when you got into the industry. We're going to start with Kim.
6: Well, I have to say the fashion industry is very challenging. It is not for the lighthearted at all. It's uber competitive. So you're dealing with, you know, anybody who has a sewing machine is your competitor. So it's really about having a focus, passionately doing what you love. And I, th- I think that, you know, it, it when you're in a career there are a lot of hard things there's the financing part of it which is difficult you need to understand that part um, it 's the creative part to having the ability to be creative and to bring in creative talent and, and market it so in a with a fashion line there 's so many attributes to get you get you there it 's not just designing clothing it 's really there 's so much a part of going into each collection and in fashion, it moves very 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 fast so you always have to be i 'm designing for fall two thousand and ten right now. I just showed my spring collection, but that has to go into production. So it's amazing that all the stages that that, that you have to go through. Okay, Adrian.
4: Um, being a professional football player, people just think that you go out on the field, you run around, you hit somebody, you throw a ball, you catch a ball, and you score a touchdown, and you win games. And <laughs> it's, re- it's, really, it's really not that easy. Um, there's a lot of film study involved. Like, we have different opponents each and every week, so we have to, st- we have to study the other opponent and see what they're... Uh, nuances are and see the things that they do and don't do that we can try to get an advantage on. The coach gives out a game plan each and every week and we have to follow our game plan. Um, You're lifting weights throughout the week, throughout the day. In the off-season you know you're getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning and and doing workouts too so you always have to keep your body in shape. But I think the thing that kept me most on my toes is each and every year there's 10,000 kids graduating from a US or Canadian college or university who's coming to take your job. You have to prove yourself each and every week, or else you won't have a job. And Like I was talking at my table, the average lifespan of a football player is two and a half years. So you all might think about the Dan Marinos, the Jerry Rices, the Pinball Clemens, the Damon Allens who's played for 12 to 20 years, but that's less than 2% of all the football players in, in the National Football League and Canadian Football League. There's all those guys in between that only make it two and a half years. So those guys would come to take my job each and every year. So I had to fight a little bit extra harder to keep my job.
3: Something uh, you might not realize, and uh, we were talking a little bit about this earlier, the real world was the competitive nature of what we do. So even in my job, I'm not just going out and doing a story and anchoring a show at the end of the day. We're watching everybody else at 6 o'clock to see what they got on the same story. And if they got something that I didn't get, I have to explain to my bosses why they have that and I didn't have it, or why I chose to leave that out of my story. Uh, the way I describe it is it's kind of like running a marathon every single day, and you don't know who wins until the end of the day when you watch all the newscasts and see who's got the best stuff. Because same thing, if I'm not consistently getting the best stuff or I'm not up there, there's always somebody else who's going to walk in the door who's going to work twice as hard to get the best stuff. So you've got to keep that in mind. Stuart. Stuart.
5: Um, there, there are many frustrating things that, that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, I'll, I'll talk about two of them. The first one is, uh, is with uh, 1,200 people, you deal with a lot of uh, personal issues. And uh, probably it, it's very frustrating for me when I, when I get these young people that, that make mistakes, and they make mistakes over and over again, and uh, we end up processing them out of the military. It's, uh, it's very disheartening. Um, but, but like all people, you cannot just uh, tell them what is right and wrong. They have to learn for themselves. But without doubt, the most uh, difficult days that I have ever experienced in the military is when I deal with the, the families of my, my fallen comrades, okay. when I have to uh, go to their houses and tell them that uh, their loved one has, has passed away or died in, somewhere on an operation. Yeah.
3: Um, people think television uh, is very glamorous. It's actually news, anyway, is one of the least glamorous jobs you could have for the same sorts of reasons that if there's a murder and, you know, it was a 16-year-old kid... Our job is to go find their family the next day or the same day and say, hey, could you talk to us about your son or your daughter? And do you mind giving us a picture and and just giving us a quick comment? And it breaks your heart every single time you do it. I mean, I've been around long enough to have done it dozens of times. But every single time, you feel terrible doing that knock on the door. But that's my job. Obviously, it's not the best part of my job. But it's still my job and I still have to do it. So one of those things to keep in mind as well. Uh, We talked a little bit about skills while we were talking about what your jobs are, but if you can just run through maybe the top three things you need to do or the skills you need to have um, to do your jobs, and we'll start with you.
5: That's a fairly difficult question.
3: Um, (laughs) (coughs) We didn't say they were going to be easy. No. Um,
5: (laughs) In my current job, uh, I guess uh, there are a few things that I do. One of those things is to... uh, I am uh, the, the advisor to my commanding officer, who is the man who is actually in charge of all the people in the battle group. Um, I, I man the, the battle group, so I decide who works where. I make sure the leaders in the, the battle group uh, get all the, the requisite training that they require and that they, they need for their, their jobs and their jobs deployed. Um, for jobs, we, we have many different specialties that, uh, that the military is broken down into. For me, uh, probably the the, uh, the most uh, glamorous jobs, which I think you will probably all understand and recognize, are uh, I'm a master sniper, I'm a paratrooper, I'm a man tracker, um, I'm a mountain climber. So these are the kind of things that, uh, that the military requires, the skill sets that we require every time we deploy troops abroad.
3: Yes, yeah, skills. What skills. are the what are okay. the kind of skills? If you were to pick sort of the top three things uh, you need to have, creativity, I imagine I would be a big one for yours. I started
6: going off with the man yeah, I know. I, I was like, like oh, man oh, wow. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't have any of those skills. No,
0: <laughs> Let me, me tell you. Right? <laughs> <I> know, but, <laughs> wow. Well,
6: in in fashion design and I, and you know it's it, it's running a business. It, you know, hmm. I'm I run a business that is fashion, so it's really there's there are different things that you need to know. One of them in in the design aspect of what I do is technical skills. You cannot just make a pretty dress and think it's going to be okay. You have to figure out how to construct it. There's a lot of technical information that goes into every piece of a garment. I mean, blazer's. A, a million different pieces, so you have fusing, you have all this that have to come together and fit perfectly. And if you don't have the technical aspect, it's not going to fit, you're not going to be able to sell it. So that, that's, that's one of the skills there. The other one is management, getting everybody in the whole company to, like, want the same things, and, you know, people are in it for different reasons, and you get a lot of personalities, and it's to have, to build a culture where the management that everybody's going, they're rowing the boat in the same way. I mean, if you start having oars going in all different ways, you can't get to your end destination very easily, and... um, The other thing is marketing. I think that you have to be able to get out there and market your brand, market your clothes. So there's really three separate skills there that I think have to come together to really work in my business. That's
3: uh, talking about team building is what you're talking about. And I imagine there's a lot of focus on team building in a football team.
4: You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, The first thing is is team. Obviously obviously you play on a team uh, playing football and working well with others is in that team aspect. So I worked next to another guy who played the same position as I did, and we have to be on the same page as we're playing together. So we have to be able to understand what each other's jobs is, and I have to do my job, because if I don't do my job, then it's going to impact on him doing his job and vice versa. So you have to be able to work within the constructs of a team. Also, um, you got to be able to communicate. You know, If they call a defense, they call a defense called – Uh, Sam, Quad, go, then I have to understand that within that defense, when I communicate that to the guy next to me, he has to know, he's relying on me to give him the correct call, and I'm relying on him to give me the correct call. And also, we might have audibles, we might have checks at the line of scrimmage, if the offense does something differently than what we think they're going to do, we have to be able to check out of that and go to another defense. So everybody has to have the ability to to communicate. Another thing is, I don't know if this is a skill or not, but I have to be able to have a short memory in my field, in my, in my position, because if a defensive lineman misses a tackle, who's behind him? The linebackers are behind him, so the linebackers will make the tackle. If the linebackers miss a tackle, who's behind them? The defensive backs will make the tackle. Now, if I don't make the tackle or I don't make the play, what's behind me? The end zone. And so if I get <laughs> scored on, everybody on the stands is going to know whose fault that was. So I have to be able to have a short memory and get that out of my mind and go on to the next play. So those are my three skills.
3: Good point. Uh, we have a quick question here from Patricia. She says, I think this is a really good question, would you like to see your child, if you have a child, uh, do the same job that you are doing right now, knowing its highs and knowing its lows? And let's start with Kim.
6: Well, I I, I do have a daughter that's, that loves creative, and um, and it, I think she would like to do it. Um, it just it, There's so much to learn, and you always want to fast-track and help your kids because you want... To, you know, give them a jump start on all your learning and what you've put into it. And I've learned a lot the hard way. I have, I have to tell you, you, you do it because you take risks and make mistakes. Um, I would love Jackie to do anything that she'd be happy doing. Um, I would hope that she would take some of Mom's advice <laughs> as she goes through it. <laughs> but you know what? Everybody has to sort of, you know, make their own decisions because we're all individuals. But you'd be okay with her choosing... Fashion I design? A- anything she'd like to do, okay. as long as she's passionate and happy to do it. Okay. Stuart?
5: It's, it's the one thing that I, I dread, I suppose, more than anything else, is, uh, is for my son to, uh, to want to follow in my footsteps just because I realize how dangerous it is. Okay. Everything I do is lethal. Um, and, and I've had many, many close calls. Certainly, I would be very proud of him if he decided to join the Canadian Armed Forces in any capacity. But uh, it's, it's one of those things I, I do not want him to join. Because of me, I want him to join because it is what he wants to do.
3: But you would worry.
5: I would definitely worry.
3: The anxiety level would sort of just
5: definitely. Head right my two there. girls are off on university, so that this is not the path they've chosen. Now I have one more
4: that I have to watch out for.
3: <laughs> okay, Adrian.
4: Being a sniper, I'll make sure my son stays yeah. away from <laughs> <laughs> um, me. It, it's, it's one of those double-edged swords. Obviously, you, you know, you want to say, have your kids do whatever they want to do, and. My son is nine years old, and he really does want to be a football player. And he plays other sports right now because I won't allow him to play football because I, I think at this point in time it's, it's no reason for him to play, and I think he'll knock himself out because he's really a type A personality kid. and He loves to run and hit things, and especially me. you know. So, you know, but if that's the path that he wants to take, obviously I, I welcome it. I would give him all the skills and knowledge that I have. I know, as she was saying, that, you know, you want to, fast-track them to, to the creative side and things of that sort. Now, you don't want to give them, hey, I know what they're about to do. I'm going to give you, you know, tell you what to do now. But they have to take their own path. They have to learn in their own time. But uh, I would definitely not have an issue with them playing football. But I would have the anxiety, as, as he said, yeah. you know, just watch them on the football field and you know, knowing how reckless he is, you know, he'll probably kill himself doing that.
3: <laughs> uh, next question comes from Emma. She said, when you started out, were there days when you thought... Uh, this is not the right career for me, good question, and I've had many of those days. Um, my, put that cell phone off, my job is very deadline-oriented, and the turnaround is very quick, and there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure uh, in what we do, so I, very early on in my career, had many times when I thought, well, I have to find something else to do because I can't do this and you know, kept coming to work the next day and kept coming to work the next day and it got better and it got better but I, I to this day, still have very bad days where I'm like, why do I do this for a living? It is, takes a lot out of me and it's that hard and I always tell people who are thinking of going into my business to really think about it, talk to somebody who's in it because it's a very, very difficult business uh, and not what it seems to be uh, at 5 o'clock or, or whenever we're on. There's so much more to it. Um, but have you ever had those moments? Let's start with Adrian and move in.
4: I knew from a young age that I wanted to be. I wanted to play sports. I knew that. And my first love was baseball. My goal in life was to beat Ricky Henderson's stolen base record, 135 stolen bases in a year. So I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Football was a total accident. Got tricked by a friend, played it <laughs> my last year in high school, and ended up being halfway decent out of it and, and made a career out of it but there was never any doubt in my mind that I wanted to play some sport and I knew what I wanted to do. Did I ever have days that I wanted to quit? Absolutely. When it was minus 12 degrees outside, out in Saskatchewan, and we weren't playing in the dome in Toronto, I asked myself, what are you doing out in this cold weather playing this sport? The other time was I had broke my thumb and I had wrapped it up, I had a half cast on it, and the second play of the game, Eric LaPointe runs around the end, and I have to make the tackle. Well, obviously, I made the tackle, but the shock and the sting that went through my arm from my broken thumb, I looked to the sideline for about half a second and saw if anybody was there that could take my place for the rest of the game. Nobody was there, <laughs> so I had to continue on with a broken thumb. Yeah. So, yes, those was yeah. the only two times I wanted to, to quit my sport.
6: Kim? Well, you know, there's, there's, so much, there's so much as you develop your career, and I, I think everyone gets to the point where, you know, you, you, you picture yourself doing something else. Um, but you, if, it, it, it only it's a fleeting moment for me. I, you know, I've, I've been like, oh, I can't deal with this. Also, too, when you go to put yourself out there, I do a fashion show. So I put myself out to the, to the critics, and I think, you know, sometimes the critics are not so nice to you. And you just think, oh why am I doing this? I'm working so hard. I'm trying so hard. And, you know, to get any kind of... Not getting love back. Not not getting love back. Well, in in fashion, it comes and goes. So thank goodness our last one, we got a lot of love. But (laughs) (laughs) I've had one or two that does it. And you just think, oh, I'm doing all this, and I'm trying so hard, and, you know, I'm not getting the love. So you think, maybe I should be doing something else. But, no, I I have a passion for what I do, and those moments are few and far between, thank goodness. Okay, Stuart?
5: I also have been very fortunate. Uh, when, when I joined the military, I was 21 years old, so I'd, I'd worked a number of jobs uh, preceding that, and uh, I knew as soon as I joined the military and I started my training that this was it, Wow. that I was where I was supposed to be, and I have never looked back.
3: Um, follow-up question to that, I guess, and this is from Tasvia. How do you handle stress? What do you do to deal with the stress uh, of your job? Uh, let's start with him. I
6: meditate, Do you? or I try. I okay. really, really, really try to. Um, I think it's important to manage stresses, and we had this conversation about being physically active. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be fit physically to able to handle the amount of stress that comes um, uh, from running a business. And uh, so that's sort of, I, I try to relax, I try to exercise, and I try to take everything as it comes and not let it build up. Okay, Stuart?
5: Uh, the exact same thing. I mean, fitness is, is the key to, uh, to life. I mean, to have a, it's a lifestyle. To, to be fit will, will improve you in so many ways that uh, you don't realize. And I think uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why we force fitness in the military is that it does automatically decrease that whole level of stress. However, there are times when you cannot decrease that level of stress and, and you just have to muscle through it. Uh, for example, during combat operations, there is no way that you can de-stress yourself. It is one of those things you just have to learn how it affects you, how you are going to deal with it, and how you are going to get your, object- your objective complete.
4: OK, Adrian? You know, I'm pretty much an even kill type of guy. I really don't get too high or too low. So I mean, stress enters your life, but it's just all about how you deal with it. And fitness has been mentioned, and obviously, that's one of the ways to do it. But you know what the easiest way to deal with stress is? Smile. <laughs> See, when you laugh, all that stress level just automatically goes all the way away from you. So you know, it might not be funny at the time, but you know what? You smile about it. You laugh about it. You move on. It makes you feel a whole lot better.
3: See, I wish I could do that. I don't. I'm one of those people get all tense when I get stressed out, and then I pop, and then I, yeah, it's not so good. But uh, over the years, I've learned not so much to smile because I wish I could, but to actually just realize that this too shall pass. Whatever it you know, is, I'm going to get through it somehow, some way, And I try to take it sort of more in the course of life as this is something that I have to deal with. Um, But for me, it was a learned lesson. It was something I really had to put my mind to and put my energy to to handle uh, the stress of my job. Um, First, taste of success. I want to know the first moments in your career when you went, wow, you know, I'm doing okay. This feels good. I feel like I've accomplished something in my dream job. I'm going to start with Stuart. And we're going to go out this way.
5: Well, I suppose it uh, it would be the uh, the uh, culmination of my my initial basic training course. I, I was chosen as the top candidate. I was chosen as the most physically fit, um, and and uh, the battlecraft award was was presented to me as well. So I knew that uh, I was in the right place. There we go. Uh, it was a peer a peer assessed and a staff assessed thing.
6: Kim, um, you know, one of my my biggest memories of Feeling success was when you when you start and you. I was a junior buyer, so I I was a junior buyer. I never had the title of being a buyer, and I worked really hard. And I stayed till nine o'clock every night, and I I I I wanted to be a buyer so badly. And I put a a goal that if I wasn't going to be selected to become a buyer by a certain timeline, then I was going to start looking for another job. Um, So the funny thing happened is I set it as my birthday. On my birthday of that year, I got a promotion. Nobody knew it was my goal. Nobody knew it was my birthday. And I just thought, you know what? It was meant to be.
4: Hmm. There you go. Adrian. Um, I guess my first taste of success, I would I say, is, like I said earlier, football is a total accident. Uh, didn't plan on playing football uh, any part of my life. And when I got to university, um, after my first year of being a starter. Um, Coach comes into the meeting room at the end of the season on one particular day, and he announces that I had made the All-American team. And no word of lie, I was naive to what the All-American team was. I was like, "Oh wow, cool! What, what did I do?" It's like, you know, you're one of the best at your position in the whole entire country. It's like, oh, <laughs> so I guess that's pretty cool. I guess I did pretty good this year. Yeah, I mean, I knew I was getting interceptions. I knew I was playing well, but you know, to get the accolade as the one of the top people in your position. And the entire United States was, was probably a pretty cool thing. So I was like, you know what? You probably could make a, make a good living at that, and people probably think that you're pretty good. So that was probably my first <laughs> taste of success.
3: Uh, Daniel has a question specifically for Adrian. Was the gray cup or is the gray cup heavy, and did you ever drop it?
4: <laughs> I have not dropped the gray cup. Uh, the gray cup's not that heavy. It's hollow on the inside, so it's not one of those things that are, that are, that are really heavy. Um, Great thing to win. Uh, wherever you are Daniel, I'll let you wear my ring. <laughs> the ring is probably heavier than the Grey Cup.
3: <laughs> um, and this one's for Stuart. How old do you need to be to join the Army?
5: Well, with, with parental consent, you, you have to be uh, 16 years old. We don't like to take uh, people when they're 16 years old. We like to have them complete their uh, their high school education, so more along the lines of an 18 year old would be, uh, would be the, the target age that we would look for people to join the, the Canadian Forces. However, there, there are no age restrictions because of our, our human rights and freedoms. Uh, so you can be 40 years old and still join the, the Canadian Armed Forces.
3: Okay. Uh, question next is from Anusha. At the end of the day, what motivates you the most? Um, money, fame, uh, talent, job satisfaction? What is your motivation for getting up to do what you do every day? And uh, Adrian, we'll start with you. We'll move in.
4: My son is my motivation for getting up every single day and doing what I do now. <laughs> I don't know who that was. But that was loud. <laughs> oh, he's way back there. Yeah, he he truly is my motivation. He's the you know, the best thing that's ever happened to me, you know, he's a chip off the old block, you know.
3: Except for the type A personality. Except for the type A personality.
4: <laughs> uh you know, he, he had you know, I I love my son's wit and his humor and I come from a very sarcastic family, very facetious family. My mother, my father, and my son has, I guess, genetically got that in some way, shape or form. But truly is every day seeing him in the morning is my motivation.
6: Kim. I'm highly motivated when I see people wear the clothes. When I see women walking down the street wearing my product, is that's where I get the greatest job satisfaction. Okay, Stuart. Uh,
5: for me, it's, uh, it's certainly uh, it, it is job satisfaction and it is uh, dealing with young Canadians. That's, that's uh, the primary reason why I do it. But if that is my, my motivation certainly my family is, is the, uh, the strength behind that motivation because I have a very solid family and I never never have to worry about them. Okay.
3: Uh, for me, it's storytelling. I love telling people stories and that's the way I look at my job every day is I get up and I go somewhere and at the end of the day my job is to tell you, because you couldn't be there yourself, what happened at this particular uh, event today so that you get an understanding of why it's important and why you need to know about it and hopefully I can lay it out to you in a way that you're going to go, okay, I get it. I, I, I'm up to speed now on what happened at the murder trial of so and so today. I have always enjoyed telling stories, the truthful kind, and so that's what, that's what I do. Um, conflict resolution, dealing with the personalities, you know, most of you are on a team, you're a team leader, Uh, You've got how many men under you, men and women, 1,200? Got to be a lot of personalities, got to be a lot of high stress, decisions that have to be made. How do you or what is your philosophy around dealing with conflict? Kim, I'm going to start with you.
6: Well, I don't like conflict, so I try to deal with it as soon as it arises because if you let conflict sort of grow, it becomes a big, ugly monster. So my, my... how I deal with it is is to deal with it straight on as quickly as possible and and be open-minded. I think you have to be open-minded to listen but, and, 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 and to formulate how you're going to resolve the conflict. So a fast resolve is always the best way for me. Okay. Stuart?
5: Well, with us, uh, clearly because of the number of people that we deal with, uh, conflict resolution is is a huge issue, and uh, we, we actually take formal courses in how to deal with uh, with any type of conflict in the workplace, and we deal with it at the lowest level possible. If, if um, the, the lowest level possible cannot resolve it, then it's, it's moved up in the chain of command, so then more people are brought in who are aware of it, who have more powers of authority. And ultimately, with, uh, with the military, we have uh, the code of service discipline and the military justice system, which can resolve a lot of these things. In fact, the, the commanding officer can,
4: can imprison people.
3: Um, Adrian?
4: Um, being on a team of... football players and everybody's coming from all over the world. You have guys who've had a lot of success and so with a lot of success, uh, rightly or wrongly, a lot of egos become involved and people think that they are, you know, the best of who they are. So when egos get involved people can can try to enforce or impress things upon other people or try to think that they're bigger than the team. And there's an old saying that there's no I in team, right? So when people don't put the team first, Uh, We were fortunate to have a lot of guys, a lot of core group of guys that played on the team for a long period of time. I played for 12 years. Michael Shea played for 14 years. Pinball played for 12 years. So when we all played together, if there was a situation where someone thought they were bigger than the team, there's always strength in numbers, kind of like, as he was saying, in the military. So when the team leaders come together and tell a guy that, hey, you know, you're kind of bucking the system and not being involved in the team and keeping the team first, they kind of get the message. If they don't get the message then, then they get the boot. The boot.
3: <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about terms of your career. You are talking about the average career for a football player last two and a half years. You said, um, "Can you do what you do successfully for the rest of your life, or is there a certain you know is there an average amount of time somebody's going to do it?" Um, Sir, so you've been there for twenty four years. Yes. But is that average? Do people tend to stay that long, or is there a high burnout rate in what you do? I think
5: uh, it's, it's different with each generation, and, and, and like I was um, speaking to at the table, the current generation, what we have is, is a, a great number of young people who want to join the military. They want to do three years in the military. They want to deploy on an operation, and they want to get out. They want, they want this to be a part of their their life's building blocks, and we have large numbers of, uh, of soldiers that do that. So that's part of it, and, uh, and, and that is an excellent part because it, it brings value back to, to Canada, to Canadian society. Um, but there are the few that all of a sudden they'll say, well, you know, maybe i will stick around for another three years. And then they're trapped into that three years, and it's just still exciting, and they, they learn constantly, and they end up like me.
6: And then there's some people and who do uh, it forever. A couple of decades, there and you uh,
5: yeah, we're okay. still here.
6: Uh Kim? Well, you know, uh, Giorgio Armani, Mm -hmm. Valentino, I mean, these are... uh, Donna Karen. they've been doing design for a long time, so I don't think there's really an expiration date on on fashion design as long as the public still wants your product.
3: Okay. Let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, training or education um, that got you into your fields. You said you entered the Army at 21. Yes. Um, So you went... Did you do college before that, or did you...
5: I did not. I, I completed my, my high school education, and then uh, I initially I wanted to be a, an automotive mechanic. Okay. Um, and I did that until I, I was 20, and I realized I, I'd mastered the, uh, the internal combustion engine, and I thought, is that it? <laughs> am, I, am I done learning? And I thought, I better try something else. So okay. then I joined the military, okay. and okay. I've never stopped learning since.
6: Um, Well, I went and uh, studied at George Brown. I took a manufacturing and merchandising course. So it was far from design. I came to design sort of at the end, as I said. Um, So I, I think that learning in each... I've been in the fashion business for a long time and at lots of different capacities, and I've learned something along the way that has sort of molded me to be able to design and bring a product to market.
4: Adrian. I went to uh, Missouri State University, uh, went there on a football scholarship, but I did, did, I did get a degree, not in speaking, but I did, <laughs> I did get a degree in uh, human resource management. So um, my last five years of playing football, actually, I worked for General Motors in a uh, human resource department, and so I got uh, education in my field of study. So I'd get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, or get up, be at work at 7, leave work at 12, go practice from 1 to 6, And do that all over again during the season so after we won football games and guys were going out to the bar and party and i had to go to home and get ready for work in the morning so and then in the the off season that was my full-time job so i did that for my last five years of playing so um while i was there um the guy who i worked for actually um got me into what i'm doing now and that's the financial industry i understood that it'd be better more beneficial for me to own my own business as she's doing, and, uh, you know, get some benefits as far as that's concerned. And, uh, and that's where the greater profits are as far as money is concerned. So instead of working for somebody, it, it kind of spurred my interest to get into the financial industry and own my own business.
3: Um, we've sort of touched on this, but can we go through an average day um, for you? I, I imagine there might not be an average day for some of you. You do different things all the time, and it changes every day depending, on and if you're here or abroad or where you are. But... Can you give us an idea of how long your day is and what, it might, what you might do along the way uh, of an average day? Kim, we'll start with you.
6: Well, my day, because of the nature of the business, uh, I do a lot of different things, so my days are never the same. And I start, I drop my daughter off, and I start work at about 830 and I usually get home about 7, and it's whatever the priority is at the moment. So what the, I have a different calendar. So my production calendar is different from my design calendar that's different from my marketing calendar. So it's juggling a lot of different aspects of the business and different focuses. So, for instance, I might have to get up at 5, get on an airplane, go do a, a product knowledge for all-store meeting. Then I'll go and I'll do an event where I'll bring a group of women in to show them the product, uh, I'll do television, and then I'll get on the phone to do so where is our where are our production at where where are our deliveries at um, you know I have to be in fittings so we have fittings that are scheduled around my time fittings are where we actually do all the technical aspects of the garment of each design and I have about three hundred pieces in every collection. Per season, so that's 600 garments that are designed and developed and merchandised into a package. So there's a lot of stuff coming at me. So as I said, my day is never typical; it's always forever changing and um, and pretty jam packed.
3: Yeah, uh, Adrian.
4: Um, I don't know which one to answer. Uh, <laughs> I guess when I played football, my day was pretty much patterned. Um, get up at six, get my son to school by. Seven o'clock, get into the office, work there till 12, as I said, then go to football practice from one to six and go home and watch film and do it all over again. So that was my typical day then. Now, um, with owning your own business, it's, it's what needs to be done at the time it needs to be done. So I still get up and get my son to school every day, but I might have two meetings one day, I might have five one day, I might have a seminar at night, I may have to come speak to some kids here yeah, at the Intercontinental inter- Hotel, about a job fair, take your kid to work day, you know, so there's different things I get to do, so I'm at a part, part, point in time where I get to quote-unquote work smarter and not harder, but, you know, the times that I have, my hour meetings or whatever, they're, they're, they are high intensity and they are things that need to be done, so it's, it just varies from day to day right now. There really is no, no typical day, day in yeah. the military. I mean, uh, it depends on, on where exactly
5: I'm working at a given time. If I'm working with the Institutional Army, um, I, I could very well have an office job. I could show up at 8 o'clock in the morning and be home by, by 16.30. But in the job I'm currently 430
3: in... 4.30 for everybody else. <laughs> that was military time.
5: <laughs> but uh, the job that I'm currently in, I mean, uh, you could see I could show up at work at uh, 5 in the morning and work until twenty hundred or twenty one hundred nine 9 o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> Uh, or we could deploy to the field for two months at a time and live in the field. So th- there really is no set pattern to, uh, to, uh, to my particular job, my, my rank or my position.
3: And change is what keeps it interesting sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, we are wrapping up. So can I get a big round of applause, please, for our <laughs> panelists today? <laughs> but- just before we wrap it all up for good, we have prizes to give out. So I think we've got a bowl, and uh, Lin is going to help us with that. She's got cards we're going to pick um, from the cards, and uh, we're going to hand out some prizes. We're going to start with Adrian. Adrian starts and ends this one. Um, one card from that bowl, and the winner is going to get an Argonauts football T-shirt and pin. It goes to
4: Patricia I.
3: Patricia. There we go.
4: Oh, wow. Do I have a ticket?
3: Oh, the prizes will come to you. There you go. You can shake the ring if you want
4: to,
3: though. Um, Kim's going to pick the next winner, and this is for another Argonauts football t-shirt, and pin goes to Hannah Glover. Hannah. There we go. And Stuart, another Argos
4: football t shirt. I wonder so we'll why
3: we're doing an Argos thing this year.
4: Glad you all won because
3: Argos didn't win. Goes to?
5: <laughs> Melissa McAmont. McAimant? McClimant? <laughs> McClimant? Okay.
3: And um, let's see, where are we? Kim is apparently picking the next one. Another t shirt and pin going to
6: Mitchell and Ina- Anani. I- I- Anani? Did I say that De- right? No. Uh, we're coming back to Stuart
3: now, and the last two prizes Argonaut tickets for <laughs> Saturday's <laughs> game. So let's see who gets the first pair Tiffany
5: Brower. <laughs>
3: Tiffany Brower. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, and Adrian's picking the last pair of Argonauts tickets, so let's see who gets that last pair of tickets.
4: Alexandra.
3: Just Alexandra?
4: Just Alexandra. Is there a table number? A11? Is that a table number? No? Everybody. Oh. Is it possible to get...
3: She's gone where? She stepped out? So are, are, should we pick another one, or should we wait for her?
4: She coming? <laughs> She's coming back.
3: Okay, so we will hold off until then a nice surprise when she steps nice back into it. the room. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody, for taking part today. That was great. I
5: think you are all fully released. Thank you. Can.
0: Well, thank you again to all of our panel for giving us some great insights into your exciting and varied careers. I can tell by the buzz in the room that you've uh, really uh, touched a lot of uh, nerves, the right ones, and people are excited by what they heard. The very wise and ancient philosopher Confucius, whose fortune cookies you've all read, once said, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. And I'm sure that all of our panelists and our moderator could say the very same thing about what they do. sounds like uh, something that each of our guests could say, but obviously something that everybody in this room would want to aspire to someday, to have jobs that they love and, as Kimberly said, to be passionate about. And uh, so let's give them a final round of applause and thanks. And thank you to you, our audience, for being with us today and charging the room with your energy, your enthusiasm, and your excellent questions. And to the Learning Partnership, to the creators of Take Our Kids to Work, a great big thank you for working with the Canadian Club for Take Our Kids to Lunch Day. Let's do lunch again next year. And for now, we are adjourned.